This morning, we're going to be concluding our sermon series, uh, The Cast of Christmas, and we're going to do so by looking at uh, this, the life and the character of this final person in the nativity narrative. Uh, it's the man that the Gospel of Matthew calls King Herod. Now, there were several men in Scripture that are referred to as Herod, but this man, Herod the Great, uh, was the king of the Jews. Now, the irony of the situation is the fact that the king of the Jews was not a Jew. In fact, he was an Edomite. Now, in case you do not remember who the Edomites were in Scripture, you'll probably remember the story of Jacob and Esau. And how that they were, that they were brothers and they, they had a lot of animosity going on. And how Jacob the younger stole the birthright of Esau. Well, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. And like I said, the relationship between Jacob and Esau was rocky to say the least. And that animosity only grew as the years went by. God told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 23 that they should not hate the Edomites, that they should not abhor them is specifically what it says. But even still, the Edomites were very difficult people to like. Um, you know, they were regularly attacking the Israelites and, and causing problems and so forth. So how is it possible that this Edomite became the king in Jerusalem. Well, I think we've got to back up a little bit to kind of get a bigger picture of what's going on throughout Scripture. And so if you, if you back out and look at the history of the Bible from a, the time of the prophets through the time of the New Testament, there were five main kingdoms that ruled the world during this time frame. It started with the Assyrian Empire, and then it became the Babylonian Empire. What well, it didn't become, they, over, you know, they overthrew the Assyrians. So it started with the Assyrians, and then it went to the Babylonian Empire, then the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire, and finally the Roman Empire came into power just before the time when the Christ was to be born. Now, four of these uh, empires were prophesied in the book of Daniel. And that's why I put the graphic on the screen. Uh, this is a graphic of the book of Daniel, starting with the Babylonian Empire as the head of gold, the Medo-Persian Empire as the chest of silver, and so forth. Um, now, the Greek Empire, if you, you can kind of see that map. Um, the, there are two maps, in case you're wondering. That's a weird-looking map. The top one is the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian Empire and kind of where they had control in the Middle East. And then the bottom map is the map of the Greek and the Roman Empire. And if you notice out there, the Greek Empire had great control over what is now known as Mesopotamia or modern-day Syria and Iraq. The Greek Empire had a lot of control there. However, <clears throat> the Roman Empire, when they overtook the Greek Empire, they struggled to maintain control in that area. The result of this struggle was political and social unrest in that region. Well, there was a wealthy Edomite. Now, who are the Edomites? Descendants of Esau, right? 
So there was this wealthy Edomite named Antipater, and he became a powerful official in this area of the world. And using his political prowess, he was able to stay in the good graces of whichever uh, person happened to be in charge at that time. And so uh, he had two sons. One was Phasaelus, and the other was named Herod. Now, because of their father's political connections, they were made joint tetrarchs over the region uh, that we consider the Bible lands, uh, the, the area of Jerusalem and the area of Galilee. Phileas, uh, sorry, Phasaelus was the tetrarch over Jerusalem, and Herod became the tetrarch in Galilee. Now, sometime around 40 B.C., which is before the time of the New Testament, Around 40 B.C., we find the, the Parthians were attacking this region. Um, and they were gaining ground against the Romans in that region. And they attacked the areas of Palestine and Syria. And in that process, they took the city of Jerusalem. Well, Herod, the Tetrarch in Galilee at that time, the son of Antipater, Antipater uh, he escaped. He actually made his way to Egypt and then on around to the city of Rome. Now his plan was to get to Rome and communicate firsthand with the Caesar to let him know what was going on in Judea and in Palestine. But his, he had an ulterior motive. It wasn't just to, to be a good uh, you know, person and report what's happening. He was trying to promote himself in this process. And so when Herod arrived in Rome, he was welcomed by Mark Antony and Gaius Octavius, which would later become known as Caesar Augustus. And so after hearing Herod's story, they, Octavius and Mark Antony, with the Senate's confirmation, designated him as the king of Judea and gave him the title of king of the Jews. So that's how an Edomite became the king of the Jews. Well, they told him to go back to that area, go back and quell all of this unrest and battle. And you then, if you can do that, you can run your own show there. You can be in charge. Well, it took him three years to gain the power that he had in that title. So finally in 37 BC, Herod I, or also known as Herod the Great, won the war, he retook the city of Jerusalem and legally became the king of the Jews, a title that he maintained until he died several years later. Now, history tells us that King Herod was a decisive military leader. Um, he had regained control of all the territories that had been taken away earlier. Uh, then by 20 BC, he had expanded his uh, control up into the, the region of Galilee. And he kept the peace and brought order to this region unlike any of his successors were able to do. The interesting thing I found was that uh, Herod the Great was a little over four feet tall. <laughs> and as little men often do, 
Herod suffered from a tremendous ego problem. And so because of this, everything that Herod did, he did really big. I mean, you know, I love my dad, but there's a reason he always drove an extended cab Dodge 2500 truck. Not because he needed a big truck, but he needed to feel like a big man because he was a little guy. And he was five foot seven. Imagine how Herod must have felt at four foot nothing. I don't know. Well, he was a great builder. Herod was, not my dad. He, 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 anyway. Herod was a great builder. In fact, he built a theater and an amphitheater in Jerusalem. He built several aqueducts and a hippodrome, which is a racetrack. Uh, in Jerusalem, he also built the fortress of Antonia, uh, which was named after Mark Antony. And we've talked about that in, in our studies uh, in the Gospels. This is, you know, the place in which uh, Jesus was most likely judged by Pontius Pilate. And it was the place in Acts 22 where Paul had that, that uh, uh, sermon uh, to the people there just outside the temple in the fortress. So, I mean, he built magnificent places. He built a magnificent palace for himself uh, just south of Jerusalem that he called the Herodium. And in 19 BC, he began construction of the temple, the temple there in Jerusalem. Um, and that was referred to as Herod's temple. So the temple designated to worship the Lord God Almighty was started by an Edomite. <laughs> now that temple uh, was the temple of Jesus' day that he went into, and you know the stories of his time there in the temple. But that temple was completely and totally demolished in 70 AD when Titus Vesp Vespasian and his Roman army conquered uh, Jerusalem. So he, he did a lot of really good things. This man named Herod the Great. In fact, it sounds like he was a, a pretty good all-around leader. But Herod had his own personal demons that he had to deal with. He was a cruel and diabolical man. And that's why this morning our sermon is titled, Herod the Wicked One. He was a wicked, evil, diabolical, maniacal, crazy Man, everyone who has ever written about Herod has focused in on this. They all agree on this issue. Herod was an incredibly jealous and hopelessly suspicious man. He was suspicious of everyone. He was threatened by everyone. He was threatened by everything around him. He was paranoid. And so he spent his entire life plotting the murder of people that he felt threatened by. Can you imagine that kind of, of existence? Mm. There are accounts of multiple times when he killed individuals and killed groups of people because they were somehow seen as a threat to him. His victims even included one of his wives and several of his own children. 
Herod had a lust for power, a constant suspicion, and an insane eagerness to avenge himself that enslaved the man all the days of his life. He was a cruel, bloodthirsty tyrant. Now, I share all of this with you today to say, go thou and do likewise. No, no, that's not it. Just making sure you're listening. Why do we talk about all of this? Well, I want to give you a glimpse into the heart of this evil man, his mindset, his character, so that we can better understand his role in what I'm referring to as the nativity narrative. So let's look again to Matthew chapter 2 for our scripture reading today. We read last week Matthew 2 verses 1 through 11. We're going to reread that same passage this morning and then continue on and read the rest of the chapter. And so the, the scripture is, reading is a bit longer than normal, uh, but I think you will find much of it to be familiar. The Bible says in Matthew 2 verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd his, my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on. Uh, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem 
and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, in, a pl in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This morning, I, I will tell you like I told you last Sunday, we will not be dealing with all aspects of this passage. Last Sunday, I told you, we'll look at more of this next week. Uh, if you weren't here last week, if there's something that I skip over today, it's probably because I talked about it last week. So you can go back and listen uh, to that sermon on the, the website or the podcast or whatever. But this morning, I really want to focus in on Herod and Herod's role in the nativity narrative. We, we've tried to, to take Herod and look at him and characterize the kind of man he was. He, and like we said, he was a paranoid man. He was a man that was, was always worried about the threats that surrounded him. Well, the first thing I want us to know he, notice here is that Herod's paranoia is compounded in this story. You see, realizing the level of paranoia that existed in Herod to begin with, imagine what kind of inner turmoil he must have felt when a group of magi, and what did we tell you about the magi? Who were the magi? Kingmakers. They were the one who designated who would become kings in that area of the east that the Roman Empire really didn't have control over. This group of magi come into Jerusalem and say, we are looking for the newborn king of the Jews. Can you imagine the turmoil that he must have experienced in that moment? The paranoia that he already had compounded into what had to be just complete rage, which we see the evidence of. The text says that he was troubled. Yeah, he was troubled. But notice what it says right after that. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. It wasn't just Herod that was worried. Everybody was worried. Why do you think everybody was worried? Because they knew their king. They knew what kind of man he was. They knew what he was capable of when he had a perceived threat. And this was... The mother of all threats. And so they were all worried. How would he react? 
this time to this threat. I think his reaction to their inquiry showed a few things. It showed not only that his fear or respect for the Magi, but also it shows the fear that he had based on his knowledge of the coming Christ. Notice the second thing here. Herod's paranoia was compounded, but also Herod's knowledge was mishandled. You see, according to verse 4, it says that Herod inquired of them, referring to the the, uh, chief priest and the scribes, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, according to scripture, the Magi never mentioned the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. What they talked about was where was the king of the Jews born? Herod is the one who put two and two together to realize that the king of the Jews they're talking about is the promised Christ, the promised Messiah. He understood that. He knew the prophecies. And so he went to the priest, he went to the scribes, and he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? Well, the priests and the scribes were able to answer their que- his question. He said that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, is what the prophecy said. So Bethlehem was that place. Now at this point, Herod had to make a choice. And I think this is really key. Because up to this point, he he had a chance to respond to Christ in a positive way. But he made a choice. And he chose poorly. You see, he chose to fight against the Christ. Rather than seeing him as the, the, the promised deliverer, he saw the Christ as a threat to his power. Folks, we have an opportunity to choose also. We have an opportunity to choose how we are going to respond to the Christ. We have an opportunity to decide what are we going to do with Jesus? What will you choose when confronted with Jesus? Herod chose poorly. So he devised a scheme to get rid of the Messiah before he could become a real threat to Herod's throne. So notice the third thing, Herod's scheme is devised. His plan consisted of three main points. Pretty simple. Quietly find out how old the newborn king might be. We find that in verse 7. says, He summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. If the star was the sign of the coming of the king of the Jews, then when it appeared must have been when the king of the Jews came, right? So he found out when. When did this happen? Step two of his plan was to covertly enlist the magi as his spies or or as his informants. So in verse 8 he says that um, he tells the Magi to go, search, diligently find this king, 
And then when you found him, come back and tell me about it. He's enlisting them to be his spies. So find out when, get them to inform, and then third step, find the child and have him eliminated. That was as simple. Now, what did he say he was going to do? He said, so that I can also go and worship this Christ, worship this newborn king. But the reality was that his plan was to have him eliminated all along. Again, this is nothing new for this volatile king. Uh, He had spent the majority of his life conspiring against those that he deemed as threats. Unfortunately for him, his strategy was foiled by the intervention of God. Notice the next thing, and that is his conspiracy averted. The text tells us that God caused the Magi to be warned in a dream to not return to Herod after they had worshipped the Christ child. So it says that they departed to their own country. They went back home but they went back home by another way. Now, some people think that this verse indicates that they asked for God's counsel and then God answered them in this way. The text isn't clear about that, only that the Lord communicated to the Magi and they were obedient to what the Lord said to them. That's the key. They they listened to the Lord and obeyed. Now, not only were the Magi warned not to return to Herod, but also Joseph was warned that Herod was about to search for the child to destroy him, to eliminate him. And so in the same way God had communicated to Joseph uh, many months before that Mary was uh, expecting a child and that child was of the Lord, in a dream an angel spoke to Joseph again and said, take Mary and Joseph and flee, go away to Egypt, escape this coming wrath from Herod. And so as a result of the dream, Joseph immediately took Mary and Jesus out of harm's way and they escaped to Egypt. Both the Magi and Joseph were attentive to the warning that was communicated to them by God. They listened to the warning and they did what God had told them to do through the angels. They obeyed. Finally, in this story, we find attitudes and behaviors in this portion of the nativity narrative that we should emulate. This is not one of those, uh, here's this great guy, do what he did kind of sermons. But we finally find a portion that we should imitate what's being done. The question is, is will you, number one, listen for the voice of the Lord in your life? And number two, will you do what that voice says? Say, oh, preacher, I've never never heard the, the voice of God. And just to clarify, I've never heard an audible voice of God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit that lives inside us. The Holy Spirit that that gives us, you know, little 
Nudges. Thank you, Steve. That's a good word. Yeah, that, that's what that was. Nudges. Sometimes it's more like a cattle prod, but you know, it, it depends on how stubborn you are. How does God speak to us? He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. His spirit guides us into all truth. His spirit convicts us of our sin. This is the way God speaks to us. Are we listening when he speaks? And are we obeying what he tells us? Folks, when God impresses you to do something, and he tells you to do it in a particular way, you need to do it. And you need to do it the way God wants you to do it. And there's a whole really good sermon about that, uh, dealing with David returning the ark to Jerusalem, but I don't have time to illustrate that this morning. I just, yeah. look it up. It's a good story. Well, when Herod realized that he had been tricked by the wise men, his cruel and diabolical nature just boiled to the surface. So the fifth thing I want us to look at this morning is Herod's fury is unleashed. You see, his response to this news about the, the birth of the new king was excessive. Since his plan to find out the exact location of the newborn king failed, he had to escalate his plan. He had to do whatever it took to take care of the problem. And so his decision was to take care of the problem by killing all the male children that were two years old and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding villages around Bethlehem. He didn't want to leave it to a chance that they might be living just out of town. He, wanted, he killed them all. Now he chose these parameters because of the information that he gained from talking to the Magi about the, the appearance of the star. That's what the text tells us, um, is that based on what he had learned from them, he decided everyone two years old and under. Now, as we said last week, the boy Jesus could have been anywhere between four months old and 24 months old. But most likely he was somewhere in that six to nine month old region um, at, at this point in time. Now, it is possible that Herod didn't want to take any chances, so he extended the possible age group up to two years. Or it is possible that the journey of the Magi was delayed and that um, that was the time frame that uh, Herod was given. We really don't know for sure. It's also possible that Herod waited some time for the Magi to return to Jerusalem, and so many months could have passed by during this time, thus lengthening the overall time uh, since the appearance of the star. We're not exactly sure. What we do know for sure is that he made a decree that everyone two years old and under that were male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas would be killed. In the classic commentary by Matthew Henry, uh, he, he wrote these words. He said, hate and unbridled wrath armed with an unlawful power 
often transports men to the most absurd and unreasonable instances of cruelty. I want to say that again because it's so packed full of mm. hate and unbridled wrath armed with an unlawful power often transports men to the most absurd and unreasonable instances of cruelty. In 1887, Lord Acton, in a series of letters written to Bishop Creighton about how moral standards should be applied to all men regardless of religious or political power, he said this, and you know this quote, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's what we have here in King Herod. He's a lasting illustration of this truth. Well, folks, there are many things that we can learn from this passage, especially about what not to do and how not to act. We can learn a lot about that. But there are a few things that are important for us to note before we leave here today. God did not cause Herod. Pay close attention to this. God did not cause Herod to behave the way that he did. But know this. Herod's actions did not affect God's ability to bring about his sovereign will in this world. The last thing I want us to notice this morning is God's sovereignty is demonstrated. God's sovereignty is demonstrated. In verse 15, well, let's, let's read verse 14 and 15 again. It says, and he rose, Joseph rose, and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. What prophet? It was Hosea. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, we've talked about this several times over the last few weeks. You know, when you, when you say, where is the Messiah from? Where is Jesus from? Where's the Christ from? If you remember, I shared a story about my kids. That's like the worst question you can ever ask my children. Where are you from? They don't know how to answer that. Um, Caleb says, I'm Texan. <laughs> oh, you got over that. Praise the Lord. Um, sorry, Tim. Um, but, but he was born in Texas. He grew up in the Philippines. Then he moved here and now he's in Conway. What's home? In scripture, the prophecies stated that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. It also said that the Messiah would be known as a Nazarene. It also said that out of Egypt, God would call his son. How do those things come together? Well, it came together perfectly because it was God's sovereignty that brought it about. The other thing that I notice here is unfortunately Jeremiah 31 verse 15 gives us other prophecy about what would happen in, in this nativity narrative. 
You see, Jeremiah wrote, thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. How do we know that this is a prophecy referring to what happened here with Herod and him killing the, the children two years old and below? Well, in Genesis chapter 35, verses 19 and 20, we find that Rachel, Jacob's most beloved wife, and you know, that may seem weird to say it that way, but he, you know, he had, he had four uh, two wives, two concubines that uh, gave him his 12 children. Rachel was his most beloved. And she died and she was buried, according to Genesis 35, 19 and 20, on the way to Ephathra or Bethlehem. You see, Rachel was buried there. And so when it says that Rachel is weeping for her children, it's saying that the, the, the region there in Bethlehem, they're weeping for their children. This is yet another fulfillment of prophecy that took place in this nativity narrative. God demonstrated his sovereignty in many ways. But you know, I think one of the best ways that God demonstrated his sovereignty here is through the death of King Herod. You, you shouldn't celebrate these things, but, you know, he was a pretty, pretty awful guy. Pretty awful guy. Well, the, the historian, Jewish historian named Josephus, wrote about King Herod's death. Here's what he said. Herod had died in a most dramatic fashion. Josephus states that a loathsome disease descended upon the ruler as a judgment from God on account of his sins. He described the horrible details. This is how Herod died. A burning fever, ulcerated entrails, foul discharges, convulsions, stench, etc., etc. Can you think of a worse way to go than that? I find it interesting in verse 20 what it says. When the angel came back to Joseph, third time he had received a message from, from an angel. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in, in a dream again and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. He didn't say he who sought the child's life. He said those. And I really think this is interesting. You see, the plural pronoun here is referring, I think, to the ones who are most threatened by this child. Herod, of course, he was dead by this point. And that's all Matthew has to say about it. Herod's dead. We have to find out how from Josephus. But the other person that we find out, again, from Josephus in one of his writings that had died allowing uh, Jesus to return with Joseph and Mary was his oldest son, named after his father, Antipater. 
And Antipater was just as cruel as his father and would have been equally threatened by this newborn king. The interesting thing that happened here, you know, uh, Herod ruled for a, a long time and I, Antipater was ready to take the reins. You know, he was ready to take over the rule of this, this area and he mistakenly heard that Herod had died. You know, he was, he was close to death, but Antipater heard that Herod had died. And when he heard that, um, he was a little too happy about it. And Herod heard about his response. And so when word got back to Herod that Antipater was rejoicing to hear about his ailing father's death, Herod immediately had his son killed. The ironic thing was, is this was five days before Herod himself died. Those who sought the child's life are dead. Folks, God's word is very specific and very detailed. We owe it to his word to study it carefully because every word in here is carefully chosen by God. That's why it says that it is breathed out by God. This is his word that is teaching us. So what can we learn from this story of King Herod this morning? Well, I think the biggest thing that we can learn is that we need to realize that God is in control of everything. But we choose our response to him. He has given us a free will, allowing us to be involved in his plan or allowing his plan to be accomplished in spite of our lack of involvement, or our uh, antagonism toward it. He is in control, and his will will be accomplished whether we choose to work with him or whether we choose to work against him. God is sovereign. The question is, which side of history do you want to find yourself on? Most of us in this room, I don't want to discount your amazing abilities or whatever, but you know what? Most of us in this room will be long forgotten a hundred years from now. We have an opportunity to be involved in the will of God and God's purposes in this life. Do you want to be remembered? If we are remembered, do you want to be remembered like Herod? Or do you want to be in the center of God's will? We all have a choice to make. We will all be confronted. If you haven't already yet been, we are all confronted with the Christ. So we've got to make a decision. What are we going to do with Jesus when we're confronted with him? Are we going to choose to follow him? 
or are we going to work against him? Your decision in this issue has eternal consequences. Jesus made it very clear when teaching toward the end of his life, talking with his apostles, telling them where he was going to go. And they said, how can we know where you're going? How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one goes to the Father unless they come through me. When confronted with Jesus, are you going to choose to follow him? Or are you going to choose to reject him? The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time in your word today. I thank you for your gift of Jesus Christ. I thank you for your sovereign hand that is in control of all things. And Lord, I know you're still in control. And I know your will will be accomplished whether I'm a part of it or not. You don't need me, Lord, but oh, I need you. Lord, help me to choose to follow you in all things. Lord, thank you for helping me to make that decision to choose Christ as my Savior. And Father, now as we uh, go into this time of reflection, I just pray, Father, that if there are any here today that do not know you, that have not chosen to follow Jesus Christ in their life, I just pray, Father, that you would give them the courage to come and talk to me and help them to place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.